This is the Stark Truth, hosted by Robert Stark. Brought to you by StarkTruthRadio.com. Robert Stark is an American journalist and political commentator. You can listen to his podcast at www.StarkTruthRadio.com. Anthropologist uh, based in uh, Finland. Uh, he has a YouTube and BitChute channel and uh, numerous books on evolutionary psychology, including a new book, Which is Feminism and the Fall of the West. And also, uh, here's another book on premature geniuses that are that is coming out this year. Uh, Edward Dutton, great having you back on the show. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello. Well, it's actually just come out. It's called Sent Before Their Time Genius, Charisma, and Being Born Prematurely. But, uh, yes, that's right. I've, I've had two books out recently, the one on witches and the one on preemies. And the book about uh, witches, the historical context about the, about the witch trials uh, primarily in uh, Europe, uh, I guess the, the point you make is that uh, the main, there's this misconception it was primarily about superstition, about the supernatural elements, but it was primarily a way for uh, societies back then to to target groups that were viewed as more undesirable or, or primarily groups of women who were viewed as a burden on society or treated as undesirable. You also make the case that it was a precursor to modern feminism, but what was particularly unique about this era in history, I think it was, I think Scotland was the main center, but is this primarily about England in the 15 to 1600s? What was unique about this era? Um. Well, I don't know if Scotland was the main centre, but there was certainly a great deal of witch persecution in Scotland. Um, what you really have is a situation very different from now, where, where you're under what's called a very harsh level of, of group selection, of, har of harsh Darwinian selection. Um, and that harsh selection operates on a number of levels. It operates at the individual level, uh, it operates at the sexual level, and it operates at the group level. So you have different groups competing for territory, competing for... Uh, you know, land that they can farm and, and, and so on. And uh, the group that will tend to destroy and dominate and beat the other group in the battle of group selection will on average be the group that is higher in positive ethnocentrism, that is to say internal cooperation, and negative ethnocentrism, that is to say uh, external, you know, external violence and external aggression. And it can be argued that what patriarchy did uh, was it helped to elevate uh, uh, positive ethnocentrism because uh, what patriarchy does is it controls female sexuality and it therefore means that that's what patriarchy is it's the male control of female sexuality <clears throat> so once you get that a, a situation like that then men can be sure they're not being cuckolded and therefore you get less jealousy and intermale violence between men you get more cooperation you get more positive ethnocentrism and therefore the group will do better and be more likely to dominate other groups and um, what that positive that that patriarchy was wrapped up in was the religion of the time christianity because the religion tended to take that which is adaptive uh, in this case patriarchy and make it into the will of god and so therefore you end up with this selection pressure towards patriarchy uh, men will be sexually attracted to women who are submissive to the patriarchal system because by being submissive to the patriarchal system then those women are showing that they're not going to cuckold you that you can be sure it's your child that they, that, and, and not only that but they are submissive to the dominant religiosity and be, and uh, being uh, submissive to the dominant religiosity is wrapped up in being group oriented in being high in conscientiousness high in agreeableness low in mental instability a good mother uh, you know a good a good wife all of this stuff and so what witches were, were people who basically deviated from this. So that deviated from the patriarchy, that, that rejected either deliberately or, or by their very nature, 
the patriarchy. Um, how did they do this? Well, they would they would set they, they would set up uh, alternative religious discourses. So you had this tension in Europe between remnant paganism uh, with its folk beliefs and whatever, and with Christianity, and they would tend to practice uh, for money this remnant paganism, this folk belief or whatever, known, they've known as cunning folk, witches, they would practice this. So this would be an example uh, of something that was undermining the established church uh, and thus undermining the patriarchy. Um, they would tend to be women who were uh, not subject to the patriarchy, either because they were uh, unmarried, spinsters, a lot of them that were accused of witchcraft tend to be spinsters, or because they were widows who did not remarry. And so by their very nature, they were showing that women, there was another way and that women could uh, act uh, without the patriarchy. Um, or more broadly, they'd just be extremely anti-social people that undermined group orientation, that were nasty people. That, that just upset everybody. Uh, and so these were the kinds of women that tended to be accused of being witches. So in reality, it was adaptive. It wasn't just some based on random superstition. What religion does is it takes that which is evolutionary adaptive and makes it into the will of God. What this was doing with the concept of witches was making into witches um, people who were bad for the genetic interests of the group and then removing them. And so it can be argued that uh, the whole process of uh, witchcraft and witch accusation was, was adaptive in that kind of society. And there's other reasons as well, but as an opening salvo, that's pretty much uh, what I argue in the, in the book. So yeah, you talk about like spiteful mutants, people who would not have survived under harsher Darwinian uh, conditions who are rising up in influence today. But if you take, uh, say, like woke ideology in general, it's a lot of different factors. It, it's that, but it's also... It's also conformity. Some people who, who are high in empathy who maybe see it as morally just. And then it's also just status signaling. So it's a lot of different factors. But like if you take, if you take like uh, feminism specifically, would you say it's accurate to say that it's just sort of under the broader umbrella of radical individualism? Well, yes. I mean, if we get, if we go back to the issue of witches, what you what you could argue is that what you have with these people, what you had uh, in early modern uh, uh, Europe, was a society of social dissent. So we were under harsh Darwinian selection pressure. There was fifty percent child mortality, um, and the richer fifty percent of the population had double the surviving fertility, roughly, as the poorer 50% of the population. And so, and not only that, but there was, an Im there was a sex imbalance. So there were more women than there were men, um, considerably more. It was t uh, because men were, boys were more likely to die of disease, boys were more likely to die in accidents and, and whatever. So there was a strong gender imbalance. So what you ended up with at the bottom of society, and there were these witches at the bottom of society, was women uh, who were... Uh, who were physically ugly, and they did tend to be physically ugly, and being physically ugly tends to betoken high mutational load, because if you're physically ugly, you haven't been able to maintain a symmetrical phenotype in the face of disease, uh, and therefore you, you, you end up being asymmetrical, uh, and therefore you, you're, you're, you're ugly. Um, they were extremely antisocial. Um, that were you know, just really regarded as nasty people that would curse people and so on. And there were cases of these women um, admitting to doing this and people believing in like the nocebo effect, people believing in the power of the curse and dropping down dying. So some of these people actually believed they had magic powers uh, to curse people and they admitted they'd do it. So they were antisocial, they were high mutational load, um, they were offered a, a financial drain on the society because uh, they were spinsters and whatever, and they, they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't do much work. So in, in every way, they were, um, uh, uh, they were a problem for the community. They were also uh, uh, individualistic. They were also, there's some evidence, they were sociosexual, um, which tends to correlate with being individualistic. You know, this, this life history strategy, we're all evolved to be a, either a fast life history strategy, live fast, die young, or a slow life history strategy, you, you live slow, die old, which goes together with being highly cooperative and pro-social and all those kinds of things. Now, group selection will tend to select for the optimally slow life history strategy group because that group will be more internally cooperative. It will be slow life history strategy. These people were um, individualistic. They were fast life history strategists. Um, and consistent with this, uh, not only were some of them sociosexuals or some of the people that would get accused of being witchcraft, witches would be women who had illegitimate children or who were prostitutes or, or whatever. But they would have... Um, what could only be understood to be rape fantasies. And this was the thing that's the really fascinating correlation with modern-day feminism. So these women would 
confess freely. People say, oh, it was to do with torture and whatever. That's not true. In England, at least, witches weren't tortured for, to extract information. And people, uh, the, the legal system was very, very sceptical. But they were the in Scotland. Grass. And Scotland. They, they, were, they were in Scotland, but that was because the legal system was less strong there. But, but um, so they could kind of get away with it. It was more corrupt. Whereas in England, they were not tortured. And so if we, if we look at the testimonies from England, you have these women openly admitting that they, um, a black, the devil entered their room at night in the form of a black man and had sex with them from behind. Things like this. The devil entered their room in, in, the, form, in the form of a young man and sucked their, their, their secret parts until they were sore. Things like this. And they're openly admitting it. Now, what these are are rape fantasies. And it's been found, that's what makes sense of it. It's rape fantasies. They don't know what they have. Women have uh, rape. Two-thirds of women admit to having rape fantasies. Um, these rape fantasies can be so strong that they can be, you know, real. They can seem very, very real. Uh, a good example of this is Andrea Dworkin, who towards the, the leading uh, second-wave feminist, who towards the end of her life manifestly had a rape fantasy that, that some French young waiter spiked her drink in a Paris hotel and then and then raped her. Um, and uh, even her friends thought she'd lost her mind. So they have these rape fantasies. And what are rape fantasies? Rape fantasies are an expression of being a fast life history strategist. And a fast life history strategist is what correlates with being an individualist, with being antisocial, with all of this kind of stuff. Because if you are a, a, a fast life history strategist, you are evolved to an environment in which it is, it is violent and it is unstable and it is dangerous. And so to the extent that you want a man, what you want is a man who is going to be uh, who is going to be able to, um, you know, uh, be physically strong and violent and aggressive in that environment such that your child has those kinds of genes and is more likely to survive in that kind of environment. The men will tend to pump and dump. You know, the men won't tend to the men won't tend to invest any energy in their in their children or in their wives because it's unstable. They can be wiped out at any minute. So they'll tend to be promiscuous. They'll tend to pump and dump. This results in the women being relatively, in some measures, uh, relatively masculinized because the women will be abandoned with the child and will have to take on some masculine attributes in order to survive. And it's been found that in fast strategy ecologies, women are relatively masculinized. So the women are quite masculinized. Uh, they're individualists. The men are individualists. In that context, how do you know that the man is the dominant man who is going to have the right genes for your offspring to survive? The answer is that he can overpower you. And only if he can overpower you, if he can essentially rape you right up until the last minute when you, you realize he's the dominant man and you give in, um, is he evidencing the fact that he is the genetically strong, fit man. And that's where these rape fantasies come from. And so, and if you think about it, it's, it's, it's congruous with the nature uh, of, of, uh, of sex itself, that the man produces half a billion sperm and the woman's immune system throws everything it can at them, its vaginal mucus, its white blood cells, its whatever, to kill them, to destroy them, to fight them off, until only the one single strongest sperm gets through. And the fact that he gets through this, this fight, this violent conflict, shows that he is the, the right uh, sperm. So it is, it is, in essence, rape up until the last minute. So I think that's what these witches were having. They were having rape fantasies. So in all these ways, these women, these witches were proto-feminists. They were against, the, they were deviating from the patriarchy. They were socio-sexual. Um, uh, yeah, they, were, they were unpleasant. They were individualists. They were aggressive. They were manlike. They were physically ugly. Uh, they were masculinized. And all of these things have been shown to be true of modern feminists. Modern feminists, for example, have a more masculine 2D, 4D ratio, which is the nature of the fingers. Uh, they, they, they have, men tend to have stubby fingers. And so do feminists. They have man-like fingers. Um, feminists, uh, by any uh, observation, tend to be physically unattractive. They tend to be aggressive. They tend to be... Um, you know, uh, all of the, uh, they tend to be, interestingly, there's a weak correlation between feminist identification and having rape fantasies. So even on that level, the relationship works. So I, I think that what you have with the feminists, with the modern day feminists, that these women in a harsh Darwinian environment, these witches were at the bottom of society and they were the, 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 the genetic detritus 
essentially of that society, the highly individualistic people that are selected out under harsh Darwinian conditions where you have to be cooperative. With the breakdown of these conditions, um, what you have is more and more and more individualistic type people, a build-up of highly individualistic type people um, uh, until uh, eventually, uh, once, you, once you get those people combined with high intelligence, then they are going to A, act in their own interests, uh, be individualistic uh, as women. They are B, going to despise men and regard men as something dangerous that has to be fought off uh, and, and so on. And so th that, is, that is feminism. So that these people are the witches of yore. It's just the, the, the difference is that the witches were at the bottom of society and had very little influence on politics, whereas feminists um, emerged in the middle of society um, for for various different for various uh, various reasons, uh, which we can we can look at if you if you if you want. I think the, the key the key reason was that there was a massive excess of females um, because of various reasons, World War One and whatever, uh, among the upper middle class. There was this huge excess of females. And the result was, what do you do in, in that situation? One, you become religious and you, you, you signal your patriarchy in order, to make it look, in order to make it more likely that you're going to get some of the, the available males. That's one thing you do. But another thing you do, if you happen to be highly individualistic and in the middle class, um, is perhaps that you, you reject the whole thing and you, 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 you question the whole system uh, and therefore you adopt something, some extreme, thing, some extreme uh, Machiavellian ideology, uh, in, in this case feminism, which, which gets power for you and your sisters. And that's what I think they did. So yeah, you have uh, your latest video is uh, you say there's a silver lining to the growing, uh, growing incel causing excess of young males. Uh, I didn't get a chance to watch this, but... Uh, yeah, so if you want to comment on, on that, what is the silver lining? But also, would you say that, uh, like, incels, would you also refer to them as spiteful mutants, the same as you would with extreme, like, feminists or woke? And then also, do you expect that, uh, that ex the, the incel issue, do you expect it to plateau this decade or continue to accelerate? I think it will accelerate. Um, I think what is... Um we have to think about what happened in the past. What we had in the past, uh, in, in the 19th century and the first half of the 20th century, was an excess of females in the middle class and upper class. And women tend to marry hypergamously. They are evolved to want to marry up because they want a male that will invest in them and invest in their offspring because then they'll be more likely to survive. And as such, um, they want to have a higher status male. They're repelled by the concept of marrying down. And what we ended up with, particularly after World War One when something like, a, um, I think it was 8% of the troops that went out were killed, but it was about 16% of the officers, and the officers tended to be overwhelmingly from the upper middle and upper class, was a dearth of uh, suitable men for these women. And uh, this resulted in two things, as I said. It resulted in the, 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 um, be, be, it competing for the males that were there by being super patriarchal and whatever, and, and thus uh, attractive to the... To, to the males, or in a sense being the incels of their day uh, and kind of giving up on the whole system, just kind of giving up and rebelling um, against the system, which the more individualistic women uh, did. These these women that were left without a husband, nobody's interested in them. So they started. So they started. Um, they, they tended to be uh, Machiavellian. Remember, they're women that are involved with unstable ecology. Unstable ecology is dangerous. Don't trust anybody. Don't trust the men, and therefore they start uh, campaigning for female empowerment for empowerment of themselves and it was specifically of themselves the suffragettes were not campaigning for the vote for all women they were campaigning for the vote for upper middle class women like them so it was an utterly selfish machiavellian um uh, idea uh, uh, way of uh, operating uh, dressed up as something moral which tends to be the case with all things that were left that, that are left wing and this helped to create uh, this movement towards feminism and, and, and whatever uh, and it would have been women that were more individualistic and therefore women that were higher in mutational load because remember we are evolved to be group oriented so any deviation from being highly group oriented from being highly religious from be whatever is going to be associated with mutational load because uh, and the, the brain is 84% of the genome or something, so therefore it will be reflected, of course, in their bodies, and so therefore these women will tend to be physically unattractive, will tend to be ugly and whatever. And so you end up with the, the stereotypical uh, feminist emerging from that social class, embittered you know, by the lack of men and emerging 
from that social class. That's what I think has happened. Now, what's happened now is that we have um, we've had more and more and more of, of this rise in uh, you know mutational load until we've reached a tipping point. Uh, about twenty percent is the tipping point when it's realised that that if if twenty percent of, of a group think something. Uh, and think it fervently, then the rest of the group will start to tip over towards it. This has been found in experiments. And this is, I think, what happened in the 60s. So many people were individualistic by then that we tipped over from being a group-oriented society to being an individualistic-oriented society. And then you start to get runaway individualism. You start to get more intelligent people that realize that the way they can get on in life is by adopting the values of the society uh, but then but in a slightly more extreme way than is modal in the society and so you end up with runaway individualism and things get more and more and more extreme so that's why um, you that's the main reason you think this uh, insult issue is is accelerating well yeah until until you until you, you you then you then get this this woke system that we have now which is telling men that it's wrong to be a man it's wrong to have children it's it's basically it's nihilistic uh, there's no religion there's no point to life and it's basically just just, just telling people that there's no there's no point doing anything uh, um, and you might as well you know uh, resign from the gene pool you have this extreme evolutionary mismatch which upsets people and whatever and so therefore um, there, there is this uh, uh, people that are more sensitive, people that are not evolved strongly um, to to highly adapt uh, for genetic reasons to do things that are highly adaptive. People that are that are uh, that need to be put on the correct uh, evolutionary roadmap of life will not be put on that roadmap of life, and they will be selected out. So I think a lot of these boys that are becoming incels would be highly uh, sensitive to their environment because perhaps they are slightly mutated. They're not they're not uh, the remnant population from pre-industrial times that are just genetically prone to have lots of children and genetically prone whatever they, they need to be uh, uh, put on the correct roadmap of life um, this isn't happening and so they start to become maladaptive they don't develop properly their sexuality doesn't develop properly their personalities don't develop properly and they don't know how to deal with uh, with with uh, women and they don't know how to get children the second problem though is literally that the sex imbalance has changed so um, bo bo boys are, we are, a, a, a child is slightly more likely to be born a boy. And until quite recently, uh, that wouldn't cause a great problem. The, the, the evolutionary reason for that was because boys are more likely to die uh, because they have worse immune systems, because they're going to die in industrial accidents, you know, because they're going to die as children. Now, that now isn't happening. They're not, that's not happening. Child mortality is less than 1%. So the result is there is an excess of males. The third problem is that you have this mass immigration that's been going on for the last 30 years or so, and that is very substantially male, uh, because it's young men that live in polygamous societies, a lot of them, they haven't got a hope of getting a wife in a society like that, they're not But aren't they enough, disproportionately low status themselves as well? They're middle, middle status, I mean the ones that are very low status are too stupid to be able to you know, get out of the country. But the but the the, the middle and, and for example it's been found that 92 percent of unaccompanied minors that are coming into the European Union are male. So in Sweden, for example, it's been so overwhelming it shifted the sex balance. That's the that's the next problem. And then the third problem um, is that the collapse of monogamy, the collapse of uh, of patriarchy, the collapse of controls on sexual behaviour means that where once um, a woman would find a relationship with a man of relatively similar, maybe slightly higher social status, and they would have to, to settle down and get married, uh, now these dating apps and the internet and, and whatever uh, means that these women can um, gravitate towards very high status men, uh, or much higher status men that they could, than they could get as a husband, and, and they will be happy to just have you know relationships with those people uh, and, and resign from having children because they haven't been inculcated with a desire to have children and because they are in, uh, environmentally sensitive and we're in this weird evolutionary mismatch that we're in and it makes them not want to have children and nihilistic and makes them not want to have children. And so therefore you get a few high status men around whom a lot of these women will gravitate and, they will, and then f f finally women are also more likely to migrate than men, women are more educated than men. And so they will tend to more likely to have degrees, more likely to go to big cities like London or whatever. Uh, there are parts of London that are very, very wealthy where there's a massive imbalance. Where there's, there's, it's like way more women than men. For example, the London Borough of Wandsworth is, is massively female. Lots and lots of young women graduates living there. Not so many men. 
But if you go to uh, uh, the, 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 the country, the rural towns, it's the other way around. So all of these things mean it's much more difficult than it used to be for men to get girls. And the result of that is uh, uh, coming together is, I think, the incel phenomenon. Um, you asked me, are the incels spiteful mutants? Um, it, one could argue, to some extent, uh, what this process will do is it will select out uh, males that have undesirable qualities. The male, the males that. Oh have, yeah, so I are, think uh, there was some controversy because Richard Spencer had a Twitter chat where he made he made that case with uh, a few of the accounts are like right wing, like right wing radfems, and he made that point that it was eugenic. Yes, I think that there is an extent to which that, I mean, it's, it's, it depends what you, what we mean by, it, it will be damaging in the sense that what it's going to result in is an excess of males. Uh, those males will be frustrated, they will be violent, they will be high in testosterone, um, and it will subvert law and order. And this always happens. It's happening in China now. The one-child policy has resulted in the ratio of being 120 boys to 100 girls. And the areas of the uh, of China where there is the biggest excess of boys are the areas that have very high crime rates. Because if you have too many boys, not enough girls, you get lots of fighting, lots of violence, lots of unpleasantness, the development of gangs, uh, men dropping out and becoming bitter against society, all of this kind of stuff. So that's the future. That's what's going to continue to happen for as long as there is an excess of males. That's the kind of thing that we are going to see. And um, uh, uh, yeah, so there's there's talk of like geriatric millennials is a new kind of like concept meme, and uh, you had a video of, of millennials like a large portion will end up uh, old and al alone in old age. But the thing is, there are these like selection pressures. So uh, we were going through this transition with selection pressures, but then the groups that are resilient will win out in the long run. So it seems to be like looking at fertility trends, like. Highest among yeah, the very yeah, yeah, poor, yeah, sure. the wealthier, I mean, I mean, but then also, also the religious, and then also, and then also, uh, Anatoly Carlin has this theory. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but he predicts he predicts that Germany will have a higher fertility rate than India by 2050 because they went through the transition earlier. Um, yes, possibly. I, I think that what's what's going to happen is that you you will well. If you go, go back to the issue of spiteful mutants, so what I would expect these incels to be would be would be people that would be unattractive to females. Why would they be unattractive to females? Although there's variation, on average, it's because they're going to be physically unattractive. And if they're physically unattractive, that's normally a reflection of being mentally unattractive, low IQ, low general factor of personality, um, that sort of thing. So those people would be subversive to the society. In that narrow sense, you could argue they would be spiteful mutants, I don't know. But the, the point is that they will be subversive to the society. They will be selected out. Um, the other group that's going to be selected, we know who's breeding. Um, whose breeding is the people, is what you could call the remnant normal population from pre-industrial times, really, with a certain exception. Whose breeding is low IQ people, so they breed because we have contraception, they don't have the intelligence or wherewithal to use contraception, so they have large families. Those people would be high mutational load because we were selecting until uh, 1850 very strongly for intelligence. They are low in, low intelligence. Um, in, in England, the only group that has above replacement fertility are people on welfare uh, who are criminals. That's criminal welfare. That's who has above replacement fertility. That's the only group. So they are breeding. But if you control for intelligence... Um, then what predicts religious, what predicts breeding is conservatism, which is what we were basically selecting for uh, under pre-industrial conditions, you know, group orientation and whatever, that's the essence of conservatism, is religiousness, which is very, very strongly bound up with conservatism, is agreeableness, the character trait agreeableness, which is uh, also correlates uh, with conservatism. And th those are the key things that are being bred for. So what you would expect to happen is that eventually uh, all of the uh, these people that have these genetic and also simply a desire for children, fecundity, that is being bred for. And so um, what you would expect is that, that, that um, over a substantial period of time, the people that did not have these strongly adaptive genetic inclinations would be bred out. And then in line with what Carlin was saying, what you would then get is a massive population spike. Because you'd have all, all the people that didn't particularly want to have lots of babies would be dead. And all the, the only people that would be left would be people that had a strong desire to have children. So you'd end up with a huge population spike. 
So in that sense, I, I agree with him that that's what would be left of the Germans, would be people like that. Um, so, so, so yeah, yeah. right and now I, it does seem that... Because they went through the transition earlier, like right now these... Uh, like India is seeing a rapid decline and they're, they're going through their transition, through their transition after the West did. So that, yeah, they, that they saw they saw a massive boom though because when they when they went through their original demographic transition, then there was much better medicine and whatever than when we went through our demographic transition. So um, the child mortality rate was lower than when we went through ours. So of course they saw an absolutely enormous boom. But yeah, then once you once you get this uh, a certain level of luxury it seems, and a certain level perhaps of spiteful muta- of mutation in the population, uh, which, which, add, which, is, which causes people to espouse maladaptive dysphoria-inducing uh, ways of thinking. And once you get runaway individualism, and that gets to a point of people saying, oh, yeah, I'm so left-wing or whatever, I renounce having children, uh, then you get an- another transition. And th- this, is the tra- this is the transition I think we're going through. It's, an, it's, it's a new transition, a new demographic transition, which is that those that want, essentially, those that... Um, or women at least that want to have children can have them uh, unless they've got you know unless they're genetically sick or something and everybody else those those that don't want to have children don't have to have them those that aren't don't answer that so it just means that the, the survivors are those that are genetically strongly prone to desiring children interestingly there's some research i'm doing at the moment which has found that um among people that are conservative and among people that are religious, there isn't dysgenic fertility. So among everybody else, it's, it's low IQ predicts having children. But among conservative people and religious people, high IQ predicts having children. So it's the opposite. Because um, what intelligent people do remember is they take the adaptive, the, the views of the society, they imbibe them, and they competitively signal them. Well, if you live in uh, the normal woke society, you can competitively signal your views by not having children. But if you live in a conservative society, you can competitively signal your commitment to conservatism by having children. And the stupid people in a conservative society will understand that less well and thus potentially have fewer children. So it's um, what we would predict is based on this is that there would be some sort of conservative backlash because conservatism is the outer shell that protects intelligence, the essence of civilization from its various maladies, uh, the most significant of which is infertility. So yeah, you have a lot of like a lot of populists and dissidents. They say that if they were to remove, hypothetically remove like the globalist or parasitic elites, then everything would be fine. But you would actually you reject that theory because you say that the dysgenic crisis is a far bigger issue, and that if they were to succeed in removing the current elites from power, that there would still be these like civilizational crises. But you do predict that eventually uh, wokeness will will die out because of these. Because of these uh, fertility and demographic long-term trends, yeah, I think you have to you have to see us you have to see us as a as a species that is trying to survive. Any species, uh, if you look at the you know, Malthusian economics or whatever, any species a species does not have a set number of members. It hovers around an equilibrium, and if it has a it starts off with a small population. It grows under easy conditions. It grows and grows and grows. The conditions get harsher, harsher for some reason, or because there's just too many of them. There's too many of them now competing. So then there's a collapse because there's a famine or whatever. A lot of them die. It goes back to, to fewer conditions, and then it rises up again. All we've got is a very, very extended Malthusian cycle. That's all we've got. People say that well, we broke with the Malthusian cycle with the Industrial Revolution because the pace of um, of growth, of economic growth. Uh, 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 of the of the production of resources was able to outpace the growth of the population fine but it all, all that did was it put off the inevitable which was the inevitable malthusian bust and that malthusian bust um I, seems to be self-induced it's almost part of the nature of our species if you were if you have a massive malthusian boom then what you get is a massive amount of mutation you are able to sustain people more people who are genetically far sicker than you could sustain under harsher conditions. So you get very, very easy conditions. You get all these people that are genetically sick, that are, that have you know that have all these you know that are, you know genetically that have poor fitness. But the problem is that the cor- one of the correlations of poor fitness include being able to be induced to do maladaptive things. That's an example of being unfit or simply having a genetic desire to do maladaptive things. That's an example of being 
unfit or simply being unable to do something very, very crucial, that is to say, pass on your genes. So what you would get um, as this process uh, uh, developed would be more and more people like that. Uh, and eventually, as it carried on, perhaps you know, a significant proportion of the population would be like that. They, they, would, they would lack the genetic desire, the strong genetic desire um, to pass on their genes, the strong genetic desire uh, uh, to have children, the strong genetic desire to, you know, to, to, to be able to form relationships and whatever. Um, and, you'd, and so it would be, though, and if that, now normally if those people were put in a situation where the um, uh, society was um, pushing them along an adaptive roadmap of life, which it would do if it was group-oriented, and it was taking that which was adaptive and making it into the will of God, then those people would be fine. They would still be able to, to pass on their genes to, to some degree. But once you get with individualism, as you get a tipping point is reached, and then it tips over um, into, into not being group-oriented, into all of these adaptive views uh, collapsing and anti-adaptive views being promoted, and those people imbibing those maladaptive views. And so therefore what you end up with is just the people that are genetically the, the most fit um, uh, surviving. And that, that's exactly what you would expect to happen and it is what's happening. So all wokeness is, is an expression of our very high level of mutational load, but the result of it, um, of, of, well, it's an expression of that and it will mean that the people that are, wrapped, that are brought into it, into its orbit, uh, who will tend to be in a relatively high mutational load, will be removed. Um, and then there will be a population, you know, the, the population will just go back down to its original equilibrium. And then it'll just happen all over again. So yeah, uh, yeah. Social media is leading to extreme polarization, and uh, the kind of like bread and circuses in the media and entertainment is being replaced by woke, by like extreme wokeness. But uh, do you do you see woke culture in the short term? Do you see the kind of cultural revolution as becoming more and more extreme? And do you think does wokeness succeed in consolidating power for the for the establishment? Or do you see it as actually going against that objective as consolidating power? But short term, do you see it as getting more and more extreme this decade? I think that um, what you will see is more, yeah, you, I think it will get more and more extreme. And you, you, what you're getting there is more and more polarization. So on the one, on the one hand, wokeness, which is on the surface, um, is becoming more and more extreme. But then below the surface, you have more and more and more sort of Nick Fuentes types that are, that are dissenting. Um, from the dominant way of thinking. And eventually what you would predict to happen based on the fact that religiousness is associated with fertility, conservatism is associated with fertility and so on when controlling for IQ is that those that are, um, and the fact that woke people tend not to have children, uh, is the fact that eventually is that they won't replace themselves and you will start to get the, uh, and see so there'll be more and more and more polarization and the people that will be becoming anti-woke will be more and more and more intelligent. And eventually you will start to get the percolation upwards into positions of power of these sort of Nick Fuentes types. But I think that will happen in a context of general societal collapse because IQ is falling, because trust levels are falling, because polities are coming apart. So I think what's more likely to occur is that you will simply get societies breaking apart and you will get relatively high IQ conservative religious refugia of civilization uh, and uh, surrounded by low IQ uh, neo-third world chaos. So there's uh, there's talk of like the technological singularity or these dystopian like 1984 type scenarios and then what's going on now with the truckers in Canada with the kind of uh, like crackdown and financial deplatforming but you've done a number of videos on this you actually don't see that scenario of the kind of like cons total consolidation of power or techno totalitarianism taking into account uh, like the concept of technology just enslaving the masses. You don't see that happening. No, no, I don't. And I, I, I think you'd have to, a person would have to be very stupid to think that that would happen. What would, be, what would be the difference? Why would we be different from any other civilization? All other civilizations go through their rise and their fall, their different seasons. Um, where there is every indicator based on what happens during the winter of civilization. Feminism, multiculturalism, loss of trust in religion, loss of aristocratic rule, whatever. Every indicator is there that we are in the winter of civilization and we are collapsing. 
So I see no evidence whatsoever. This idea that we're going to be taken over by robots or something. I see, even for that to happen, you'd have to have the will for that to happen. You'd have to have the technology to fix the robots. And it, it would, with people that have declining IQ, that seems most unlikely. If you look at what we can actually do in terms of, um, uh, in terms of improving humanity through eugenics, it's extremely limited what we can do at this stage. And we don't know what the other consequences are of it either. It's a bit like when you grow people that grow uh, uh, grapes for wine and they, they, they try to improve the conditions and whatever and make it better. And as old as the, the leaves get bigger and the grapes get smaller. And that's just with making grapes for wine. So it's, it's too, it, we are too complicated an organism to be able to plan uh, uh, breeding like this. And there's no evidence that they're trying to plan breeding like this. So I, I don't think I think that's I think that's just a, a paranoid uh, dystopian fantasy. And interestingly, you had paranoid dystopian fantasies in the winter of civilization last time. The idea that the Romans were controlled by Satan and that Satan controlled the world and that Satan was was going to you know, make sure that the world was destroyed and whatever. Um, uh, there would be, you know, it didn't happen then and I don't think it's going to happen now. So yeah, like one thing is like woke culture is is leading to breaking down. It's kind of accelerationist, and that's breaking down uh, like liberal mass society. But this relates to my series on pan enclavism, and uh, so you do see uh, enclaves as taking on the role of these like neo Byzantines in the future. And then also, yeah, exactly. And then also, do you see white people in the United States and Europe sort of becoming more like more like the immigrant kind of diaspora model? Yes, I think I've, I've got a book coming out in July called um, uh, The Past is a Future Country, The Coming Conservative Demographic Revolution. And that's exactly what I think is going to happen. That we, you're, you're going to get the, the what always happens in the winter of civilization is you get the splitting up of larger policies due to declining IQ, which means declining trust, due to greater uh, uh, ethnic diversity, which results in declining trust in, in breakup along ethnic lines um, and, and use just general declining trust which is caused by ethnic diversity. You always get the and, and general collapse in order. You get the breakup into different policies, yes. And then some of these policies will be more successful than others in sucking in intelligent people from other areas, just as happened with Byzantium. In very large numbers, we forget about this. Intelligent people from all over the Roman Empire, the collapsing Roman Empire, made their way to Byzantium. And Byzantium kind of preserved civilization until the West uh, rose up again. And I think this is, I don't know where it will be, then there may be a number of them, but I think this is exactly uh, what is going to happen uh, this time. There will be a retreat. The civilization won't collapse, but it will retreat uh, into areas, into enclaves of uh, high IQ, religious, conservative um, um, civilization. I think that's what's going, that seems to be what's going to happen. You had a video where you you touch upon uh, the NIMBY versus YIMBY issue, the whole issue about housing, and uh, I write about this a lot in Substack in California, how the YIMBY movement for housing has become very woke, but you actually say because people who are more case-selected are more sensitive to these selection pressures, you would say that like NIMBYism, where the date limits the supply of housing, has actually been extremely dysgenic? How 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 would I say that? I think the context is you talked about how Britain has restrained their housing supply, and then that's that's leading to the rise in Eastern Europe, places like Poland. I think that was a context. Like, what is the impact that housing oh, I see, that I see, zoning restrictions have on demographics? Yes, you, yes you, you could argue the people that are highly case selected they will want to they are interested in nurture. And so they will want to ensure that they can provide an optimum competitive nurturing environment for their ch for their children. And therefore, if there is not enough housing or the houses aren't big enough, they will limit the number of children that they will have. And indeed, they will potentially have no children whatsoever. Um, uh, precise, precise, so if the, if, if the housing situation is bad, that's true. Whereas people that have low IQ and are asked strategists will just have children by accident. So yes, you could argue that the 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 lack of supply of of, of, of and they have this terrible phrase thing of affordable housing. What they mean by affordable housing is crap small houses. No, that's not good enough. Affordable housing, it has to be proper houses, um, and therefore these people will feel that uh, that they have enough space and that and that it's it's okay to have children. So yes, I think that 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 could be regarded as dysgenic. Um, and you don't have these problems in uh, necessarily in other parts of the world, although they're coming there. They're coming there because of because of 
of loans because of mortgages, resulting in the in ridiculous inflation of the prices of housing. Um, even in Finland, it's happened. The, the price of housing has skyrocketed over the last uh, 10 years or whatever. It's gone up so much uh, because of people moving into the towns and because of basically people being able to get loans. Uh, and the result of that is this skyrocketing, is this skyrocketing value of housing. So, yeah, in an ideal world, you would, you would not be able to have mortgages. You would buy houses outright. Simple as that. And uh, you had a video about uh, the rise, you expect a rise in terrorism on the right wing, the left wing, as well as Islamic terrorism. And uh, I feel like short term, I don't think, I think like ISIS type attacks were a much bigger problem five years ago. But your point is more about like the psychological impact. You would say that censorship and these crackdowns, because they lead to a climate of paranoia. And I've noticed yeah. like on Twitter, I've actually seen like even though deplatforming is worse, I've seen a big increase in the amount of like Fed posting on Twitter. And you would say that's because of like the psychological impact where you feel yeah, like, as people you, as feel you, under siege. As you polarize, right. the, the people on the far left and the far right are both individualists in a sense. They're both, on, on the far left, they tend to be Machiavellian and they tend to be narcissistic. On the far right, they tend to be uh, psychopathic. Uh, and in, in both cases, they will feed off each other. So if one group is paranoid about, oh, some evil right-wing people, let's clamp down, the other group will become even more paranoid and thus even more right-wing. And they will, and they continue to feed off each other and polarize each other until you end up with basically terrorism and war. And and that's what they're doing. They're, 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 they're censorship and, and also their... Um, their propaganda as well. I mean, there was this debate recently about how whatever 50% of people in the Super Bowl adverts were black, even though they make up 12% of the American population, or whatever it was. This sort of thing, this rubbing people's nose in their power, makes them more paranoid, more angry, and it just creates a, it just creates a feedback loop, uh, which eventually comes to the fore and bursts. And I think that's what's going to happen. Yes. So yeah, we have all these like economic crises globally: uh, Argentina, Venezuela, Lebanon. Uh, the current economic situation, uh, some of the like financial YouTubers predicting a Great Depression, and then the Ukraine conflict, uh, talk about like a war with Russia. So Peter Turchin has this theory where he measures different variables throughout history in these cycles of crises. And I guess with the Great Depression and World War II would have probably been the last one. But do you see, uh, do you see the world as a whole in facing one of these kind of global crises? Uh, either an economic depression or yes, a great war. Peter, Peter Turkin has has his uh, his model, um, and he argues that America, on these various measures, is now as polarized as it was just before the Civil War. Uh, uh, another model is the one that was presented by a Finn called Yanni Miertinen, and he argues that it's that humans have um, are pack animals, and pack animals have cycles of different hormones. And they have these cycles of hormones, so they can vary in size and behavior. And this can make them um, uh, uh, a more complicated target for predation, a more complicated target for disease, uh, and whatever. And so that's, that's, how, that's why they're adaptive. And based on his modeling as well, um, we, will, we are reaching a point where the levels of dopamine are very, very high. And the levels of dopamine are high in a, in a context in which we are highly polarized. And what that results in is extreme polarization because dopamine makes you group oriented um, and therefore an extreme uh, political conflagration. So based on that model as well, and he prognosticates that the, uh, the next 10 years, as far back as 1997. In the United States out, or do you see a global crisis like possibly? Yeah, the United a, States. The United States the, the, the so you don't, you don't see like a uh, World War Three or a global Great Depression? Yes, I do see those things. Um, as, as far back as 1997, Strauss Hauer arguing that the 2020s was going to be a, an appalling decade of conflict, and it seems to me that they, it's turning out to be correct. Do I see World War III? Yes, I do. I, if it was going to happen. It should, it should be happening, yes. Um, I, 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 World War III, um, you would expect that based on the levels of dopamine and the levels of low trust and whatever. You'd certainly expect large parties like America to start to split up, uh, some sort of, sort of de facto civil war. As for the Great Depression, well, money, what is money? Money is now based in, all it's based in now, fiat currency, is confidence in the American regime. That's all it's based on. There's nothing else. And so if confidence in the American regime is lost, the value of money goes. So, so yeah, why, why, in, in, why would we continue to have, I think gradually we are, confidence is sapping in the American regime. And if confidence saps in the American regime, confidence saps in the banks, confidence saps in money. 
So I, I, I think that could well occur, yes. Do you think, like, the current crises in Ukraine could trigger that? Then it could spread? Because some people I don't, are I saying... I don't want to make short-term Oh, yeah, but I guess one thing I've heard is that, like, a lot of the grain, the grain supply from Ukraine, uh, the Middle East countries like Egypt are dependent upon that, and that could, like, trigger a, a greater conflict in the Middle yeah, East. Yeah, that's exactly the kind of thing that could happen. So what, what, what brought about the collapse of Rome to a certain degree was the collapse of supply chains. There were things that underpinned the collapse of supply chains. I was declining intelligence, declining trust, uh, all of these uh, soliloquy uh, uh, sequence of events. You know that 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 are the cap that are the reflection of the winter of civilization. But it's the supply chains ending that, that then results in a declension of civilization. It results in the cities being being abandoned. Uh, it results in a scramble for the countryside. It results in there not being enough food. It results in mass death. Blah 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 blah. And if if it was if, if that that if the running out of energy uh, for various whatever reason would would obviously that would be the kind of thing that would bring that about. Oh, we're getting close to the end of the show. But before I wrap up, do you want to plug your new book on premature geniuses or any oh, well, other upcoming yeah, projects? I was, I, it's called it's called it's called Sent Before Their Time: Genius, Charisma, and Being Born Prematurely. And basically, being born prematurely is associated with everything negative you can think of. It's associated not only with low IQ, but with psychopathic personality, with uh, you know mental illness, uh, whatever. But if that is, but if those traits are combined with outlier narrow IQ, then what you could end up with is genius. And so what could, what potentially could be the case is that people, preemies, could be overrepresented among geniuses. And what I've proven in this book is that people that are born prematurely are indeed overrepresented among historical uh, geniuses. It's uh, quite amazing. And of course, it's because um, it causes this optimum brain damage uh, such that uh, although most preemies don't really achieve much in life, uh, though the, it could go just right and result in basically outlier narrow IQ plus these moderate, the antisocial traits, and that is the essence of genius. And there are many, many, many examples of, as I say, they're, they're overrepresented uh, relative to the numbers. And it was, I was inspired by the fact that uh, I was born three months early myself. So it's of personal interest to me. But I mean, Buddha, Moses, uh, Isaac Newton, uh, Kepler, uh, Thomas Hobbes, Rousseau, Churchill, Goethe, there's loads and loads, of, uh, and they are they, they punch above their weight, basically. So they, they, it's a very, very interesting, yeah, interesting thing. Edward uh, Dutton, uh, great show. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye.